Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got David Siegel. He's the CEO of Meetup. Meetup, if you don't know, is one of the largest platforms for finding and building the local community. And David has over 20 years of experience as a technology and digital media executive, leading all types of organizations through innovative product development, rapid revenue growth, and digital traffic acceleration. Prior to joining Meetup, David was the CEO of Investopedia, before that president of Seeking Alpha. On the show today, we talk about what it was like to join Meetup, Meetup when it was owned by WeWork, as well as its more recent spinout from WeWork and how the company is performing. We also talk about the podcast, Keep Connected, that he runs through WeWork, as well as his recent book that he published, Decide and Conquer, which lays out a framework for decision making that leaders can use to ensure organizational and personal success. So with that, I hope you enjoy this conversation with David Siegel. David, would you introduce yourself? Sure. This is David Siegel, and I am the CEO of Meetup and the author of Decide and Conquer. David, welcome to the show. It is super exciting to be here. Let's get started. Can't wait. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I was looking at your bio, and I couldn't step over this fact that you had a job as an air courier that somehow took you around the world. Tell me what that's about. I've never heard of such a thing. 
Okay, I'll, I'll tell you. So on my resume, I became presidents of companies, CEOs of companies, and still, I haven't had shown my resume in a long time, but still, like even most recently on my resume, I talked about something from 30 years ago, which is being an air courier kind of on the bottom of interest because people just find it interesting. So I guess that's what you picked out too. So here we go. <laughs> so it was, um, so back in the day, prior to 9-11, there was a number of companies, one was called Now Voyager, that's the one that I typically used. And what they did is they took all your baggage space. You would get on a plane. And what I did is I would wear five or six articles of shirts, three or four pants, put a bag inside a bag, and then undress once I got on the plane so I could have enough clothes. And they took all your baggage space. And they gave you a giant button that said air courier that you have to wear wherever you got. And then they gave you a folder of some kind they said, don't ever look inside the folder. <laughs> and I don't know. They told me it was flour. I'm not exactly sure what was in the folder. And then when you arrived at whatever destination you would be in, you would find another person with a giant pin and a folder and you'd exchange folders and you were never allowed to ask any questions. But I, in college, traveled to Venezuela, for example, round trip for $99. I went to Korea for $200 round trip. I went to Belgium, again, also $100 round trip. And it, it was great. I would take every spring break or winter break, come home, visit now Voyager office and say, hey, what's the cheapest flight you got to anywhere in the world? And they'd be like, okay, we're going to you know Venezuela today. So I'm like, let's do it. And that was how I you know traveled around the world. I've been to 47 countries, not all through air couriering, but uh, you know through life in general. Uh, well, that's that's an amazing gig, and especially at that age. I mean, I yeah. I don't know how I missed the boat on that one. <laughs> it was, it was, it, I, I'll tell you one thing. I remember when I was a freshman in college. So I was only, I think, eighteen years old at the time. My mom thought I was sleeping. She went out for a grocery store. She came back and she thought I was still in bed. And I I saw her. She's like, "Oh, you kind of stayed up late last night. You know, what are you doing today?" And I'm like, well, I'm leaving for Venezuela shortly as an 18-year-old. And uh, she wasn't too pleased. Let's put it that way. I did not get a lift to the airport. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, man. So from air courier in your teenage years and college years, what's been your path since then to becoming CEO at Meetup? All about the air courier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I actually started my career in a very, very atypical path, which is in human resources. In some ways it's atypical, but in some ways it was incredibly valuable. HR yeah. people tend to focus on recruiting top talent, motivating people, building great management processes, aligning strategy and operations, those types of things. So I worked as a human resources partner at one of the top, if not the top internet company in New York called DoubleClick, which was ultimately acquired by Google for about $3 billion, of which I had, of course, nothing to do with. And I was there in the late 90s before the crash on the heydays. And then I was there during the uh, dot-com crash as well. And I only emphasize that one in particular because the CEO of DoubleClick, Kevin Ryan, who was also the founder of later on MongoDB and Gilt and Business Insider, was the person who ended up acquiring Meetup from WeWork just a couple of years ago. And we stayed in touch through these 20 plus years. So after DoubleClick, I went to business school. Then I decided I wanted to do retail and retail stores. So I worked for a pharmacy chain called Dwayne Reed, building out a new business as an entrepreneur, something called Dwayne Reed Express. After that, I worked for 1-800-Flowers for five years. I ran mergers and acquisitions for the company <laughs> and actually ran marketing, um, all marketing centralized functions across the 10 or so different businesses and 1-800-Flowers, the cookie business, the chocolate business, et cetera. Then I was a general manager for a publisher called Everyday Health. 
and ran a business there. Then I became president of Seeking Alpha, which is a large financial investment website. Then I became CEO of Investopedia, which is the largest financial education website and tripled the company's revenue, sold the company, thought I would take a nice little break because I did okay after selling the company. But then Adam Newman and WeWork came a knocking and said, hey, David, would you like to become the first outside CEO you know, at Meetup's 16-year history? And I said, Meetup, I love Meetup. Meetup is all about building community and curing the loneliness <laughs> epidemic. I'm in. 27 interviews later, got the job, and that was that. That was about three and a half years ago. That's amazing. And I love the HR start because you're right. You're leading people every day. <laughs> like yes. It's a people business. Every business is a people business for that matter. So that's an interesting start. Yeah, it's not people say, you know, who makes products? People make your products. Right. Who builds great content? People build your content. <laughs> right. Who does good selling to build revenue? People do the selling. So it really is. And I remember when I was at DoubleClick, the CEO of DoubleClick, who I referenced, Kevin Ryan, yeah. one time sat me down and he said, you know, the things that I focus on, the things that you focus on, are actually pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of woke me up like, oh, maybe I could be a CEO one day. So <laughs> that's what happens. That's awesome. Well, let's talk about Meetup. Unless you're under a rock, most people know it's where you can find events, local or otherwise. But how do you think about it? How do you describe it? I didn't realize it's been around for a while. Like, when did it get going, I guess, as well? Okay, so I'll start with the yeah. founding story yes. of Meetup, which is really quite special. Meetup was a direct result believe it or not, of 9-11. So in September 11th, 2001, when the towers went down, our founder, Scott Heiferman, was in his building just like everyone else and was just in a state of complete shock and went down to the lobby and everyone was kind of huddling around the lobby area. And he bumped into someone, said, hey, where do you live? And he realized that person lived on the same floor as he did. Bumped another person. That person also lived on the same floor as he did and he never met them. And he was like, this is crazy. It shouldn't take a tragedy to help us to build community. Yeah, I'm going to build a community platform, and he did, that can build community for people that could cure the massive loneliness epidemic that exists. And then the first site went live on June 14th, 2002. So this June will be our 20th anniversary, which also happens to be June 14th, both my daughter's birthday and Donald Trump's birthday. So, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Different strokes for different birthdays. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's so amazing. Th that's where it started. Yeah. And, you know, we're all about our mission. Our mission is curing the loneliness epidemic. 46% of people regularly, not occasionally, not sometimes, but regularly feel lonely. And among Gen Zers, among Gen Zers, it's 62% of people who regularly feel lonely. And this is prior to the pandemic. The pandemic has just increased all those issues. So, at various points in my life, I felt insecure, I felt lonely, and thank God I haven't felt lonely on a regular basis, but when I have felt it, it is such an empty, scary, difficult feeling, and the number of people that feel that way around the world, you know, it's scary, and mm -hmm. we're about helping people find their community, find their tribes, and whether they're interested in hiking, or they're interested in technology, or they're interested in their parents of ADHD kids, whatever it is that their interest happens to be, or watching horror flicks, you know, there's a meetup group for you. Well, you mentioned earlier, you know, you became the CEO when it was owned by WeWork. We go back in time, a pandemic began, <laughs> and you guys were spun out from WeWork at some point during that time. That had to have been a critical moment, not only as a CEO of a company, but like to manage through that Tell me about it. How did you even begin to conceptualize what to do next? We were spun out in March of 2020. 
something else <laughs> happened in March of 2020, <laughs> yeah. which was that you couldn't meet up in right. person. Right. And that's pretty hard to run a company called Meetup. That's all about IRL. We were so about IRL that our founder, I mentioned Scott Heiferman one time at a big WeWork event, took a sledgehammer to a VR device and said, we will never be online. We will never be, we're all about IRL or all about in person. And then once we started seeing in China, all events going down by like 95%, we're like, oh, you know, this has happened before. SARS, Asian flu, never going to happen here. And then we're like, huh. Italy, same thing is happening in Italy right now. Everything's getting canceled. What's happening here? Never going to happen here. And we were in final negotiations on a sale, by the way, went mm. to a different party. And then all the buyers pulled out, mm. all the investors pulled out. And it was a consideration that Meetup could just be shut down because oh. the company was losing close to $20 million under WeWork because WeWork was all about spending is maximizing losses to the greatest extent possible. Right. It's more losses equals higher valuation, perhaps. I don't know how the math works. It was a real risk. And the person who had been mentoring me, the person, Kevin Ryan, who I mentioned earlier, I called him up and I said, at one point he said to me, if the price just becomes such a great price, let me know. So I called him up and I said, we have to act right now. <laughs> Everyone's pulled out. So he ended up deciding to spend more from his personal money than he's, because usually he invests through something else, right. or his personal money than he ever invested with less due diligence than he'd ever done. But he's like, you know, David, I've known you for 20 plus years. I trust you. Let's just do this. And we, we did zero due diligence, literally zero. And just went straight to lawyers doing their lawyer thing. So it was really a stressful process. But then once the deal closed, we quickly had to figure out what the strategy was to right. deal with a pandemic. We got all the engineers in the room and many of the engineers had been around Meetup for a long time and Meetup has always been about in person. And it was a really tough question. What, what do we do right now? Do we pivot or do we not pivot? The answer was obvious because is our mission about in person or is our mission about helping people to connect to other people in a safe environment? Well, the only way to do it in a safe environment is through technology. So we couldn't be the company that uses technology to get people off technology. Mm. And it was a real cultural challenge, but I made the decision ultimately. And since that time, we've had over 6 million online events from basically close to zero in our first 16, actually 18 years at that time. You know, 30 million plus people have gone to online events in over 190 different countries. So right now it's about 25% of Meetup and 75% is back to in-person. And you can look at states like Texas and Florida, where seemingly there's never been COVID, and they're like 95% in person. So it's interesting to see which states are higher percentages, which are lower, which countries are higher, which countries are lower as well. Talk about a pivot. That's, that is a huge swing to your business, to the culture. I mean, everything. Was there a hardest part? Was it the cultural aspects of you know not wanting to be an online business and facing the realities of like, we, we have to do this. Like this, this is just what we have to do. That was not so hard because okay. I could make that decision unilaterally. The hardest yeah. decision actually for us was working with our 200,000 plus organizers around the world to figure out and to help and support them and to enable them to still have community and build community in the absence of getting together in person. Like what does a running group do right. when you can't run together as a group because in the early days, people weren't even doing that. Mm -hmm. So we would actually go and reach out to different running groups. And we found out that people go on individual runs. They would come back, they would turn on Zoom, and they would all talk to each other over a beer and build a relationship kind of that way. 
And we found out what different groups were doing, how they were using different apps like Icebreaker, how they were using breakout rooms. We got the head of training for all of Zoom on something called Meetup Live. We had thousands and thousands of our organizers get advice on how to leverage Zoom because they hadn't really used Zoom before. Zoom wasn't like a thing that people use very often prior to the pandemic, certainly on an individual basis, maybe on a company basis, people did. Mm. So helping to build the entirely new infrastructure of training, support, content to enable our organizers to feel comfortable and feel and understand the importance of the online connecting was a lot of work. And ultimately it's helped us quite a bit because we're providing more support for our organizers than we kind of ever had. And that's something that's really important for us. It's just amazing the the change that you had to manage through. It's just kind of phenomenal, frankly. It's hard to like conceptualize all of the moving pieces happening all at once <laughs> across all those dimensions. But it seems like you're back, so to speak. You've got this nice mix of online and back to in real life events happening. Do you see it as you're back now? Well, the key to a pivot, as I like to talk about, is in a pivot, you're not picking up your entire foot and moving in a different location. You're keeping your heel planted and you're just moving your foot around, but your heel is planted. And for us, the heel was our mission. Mm. Our mission was always planted. Our mission was always the same, which is empowering personal growth through real human connections. It was how we're going to achieve that mission that we ended up changing. So that's an important kind of understanding. It wasn't a complete change, change management type thing and change of our mission. We kept our mission, we kept our pivot, and we kept our heel kind of firmly planted into the ground. What's been exciting actually for us is the number one question by our organizers during this pandemic has been, I hope that online meetups are here forever. And a couple of important reasons why it's so great that we have them. So for example, I recently participated, believe it or not, in an ecstatic dance meetup group. And we were you know, just putting a crazy music on and people were just dancing like crazy and it was through Zoom. Well, that group had like four or five people normally that would go to it, but there were like 25 people from like 18 different countries that were all doing this thing together. Right. So when you have, let's say, a more niche topic, an area that not necessarily lots of people in Kansas City could be interested in, mm. or you want a support group for breast cancer survivors or any of these kinds of things to be able to have opportunities to have a global audience and global people that could help and support each other who are going through some similar things or want to learn a similar language or different topic or whatever it is, is so much more significant. So the other opportunity that we've seen is for people who are of less means mm -hmm. and it's costly for them to take the trains and park and go into a big city they could participate and they could learn a new programming language by just turning their computer on and being part of the presentations and dynamic and the interactions that they would never have had exposure to previously. And we have people from India calling into meetup groups that are in Europe and the States and vice versa. Mm. So I think there's incredible positiveness that comes out of you know, democratizing access to information that can come from our global events that we didn't really have beforehand. So in many ways, it's been a real blessing. It definitely extends the business model and, and helps you achieve your mission for that matter. It's funny that you say going into a city and paying to park. I mean, I've run CMO events, dinner events, and it's a struggle to get people to go eight blocks in New York City, you know? <laughs> so, and that's in real life in a non-pandemic time. The hybrid model, I think, is here to stay too. I, I agree with you. I agree yep. with you. Hybrid model, how people work. Hybrid model, yeah. how people have community. Hybrid model, how people interact. And yeah. I think that creates a healthy balance because it gives people actually opportunities to spend more time with people who are really 
most important, which is family and taking care of oneself. I mean, this has been such an influential time, a huge change that you've had to manage through that you've just published a book called Decide and Conquer. I did? You did. You did. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Yes, it came out just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So tell me, you know, it lays out the framework for decision making that leaders can use to ensure organizational and personal success. What can listeners expect to find in the book? I've always been obsessed with decision making. We all make thousands, literally thousands of decisions every single day. One quote that I had read from Teddy Roosevelt really struck me, which is the best decision is a good decision. The second best decision is a bad decision. And the worst decision is no decision. (laughs) And I know so many people, both professionally and also in life, they get held back by fear and inertia of not making that decision. Marketers who are just need more analysis, more data, Mm. more data, more split tests, more split tests in order to kind of say, we're going to take this action. And that fear really disenables people to leading as successful careers and as successful as happy lives as possible. But I didn't want to write one of these boring textbooky business books that you read all the time. That it's a 250-page book that could be summed up in three pages with 300 examples of the exact same story over and over again. But then WeWork came in knocking, and there were so many kind of crazy experiences as part of WeWork with Adam Newman. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Running Meetup When You Couldn't Meet Up. That I literally birthed a book. In two months, I just worked <laughs> 75,000 words and just typing continuously for two months, basically, you know, in the mornings from 6 to 8 a.m. A friend of mine introduced me to a publisher mm. at HarperCollins. I didn't have an agent. I didn't meet it with any other publishers. He said, hey, just send them your manuscript. And it was like spelling mistakes and grammar mistakes. Right. It was just kind of like a vomit mess. And he, and, and he read it and he's like, this is good. Let's publish this. <laughs> he's like, not like this. Like, we need to edit this a lot. Right. But like... <laughs> So that's that's really what happened in terms of book. And in terms of what people could expect, I would say really roller coaster stories, things that you can't make up. That if I tried to make it up, it's more unbelievable than things that you could actually make up yourself. And lessons to take from each of these kind of experiences that I've gone through over the last few years. It's a real page turner. <laughs> I'm still so. working my way through it, but it lives up to what you just described. So thanks. You didn't stop with just a book, though. Like you, you also now have a podcast as well with Meetup called Keep Connected, which is focused on the power of community, which is right in the line with your mission. How do you think about this notion of community now that you actually run one of the world's largest community building platforms? The podcast is so 
powerful for me personally. And the reason why is because one of the things that we do, one of the things that, that CEOs can fail in is staying disconnected and being in an ivory tower and not connecting directly to yeah. people who are using your product and hearing their stories and hearing opportunities and challenges to make, make our, our business better. And what we do most weeks when we have our podcast is we interview someone who has had Meetup kind of change their life. And I met with individuals who were, uh, an individual who was a homeless vet in Australia. He found Meetup. He started going to Meetup events. He's not college educated. He got his education and technology through going to different Meetup events. He met his wife through a Meetup event. And now he spends his entire life helping to coach organize to be, make more successful Meetup events. So he got his livelihood, his education, and his partner in life through Meetup. And you hear those stories. Or someone else who I meet who spent 10 hours a day playing video games, was just depressed and kind of borderline suicidal thoughts. And he was introduced to Meetup. And he then started going to events. The organizer moved to another city, asked him to become the organizer. And he's had over 900 events in the last 10 years around rock climbing and introducing new people to the city. Six marriages have come from his group, has nothing to do with a singles group. And you hear these stories and you're just like, wow, this is where I want to devote my time and my energy. And then also as a leader, as a marketer, I'm able to share those stories with our teams mm. and help them to focus on building the products that we want to continue to build to help and enable success. So I grew up in a really strong community myself. I happen to be kind of Orthodox Jewish. And what that meant for me growing up was that if God forbid someone passed away, then the person would never have to make a meal for a month. There was just food coming to the person's house all the time mm -hmm. to yeah. help to take care. And there were people as a community celebrated the ups and the joys and the sorrows and the downs. And so many people don't have that. And I think community enriches everything. And the reason why that I have found for me is because of the serendipitous moments that oftentimes happen when you're just surrounded by people and all these things that you wouldn't have expected. In the book, I talk a lot about one of the most important principles in decision-making is optionality. Are you creating options with the decision? Are there's many different things that could come out of it, or are you minimizing the number of things that could be created because of a specific decision that you make? And when community, so many different options are created because you're building relationships with people that can help you in so many different ways, and you can help in so many other ways. I love that notion too of optionality, creating more options for yourself versus reducing them, reducing your options. As you think about Meetup and its future and what comes next, how are you thinking about growth and frankly, marketing's role in supporting that growth? Where we have started to see a lot of increasing success is in the traditional marketing area. So for example, mm. whether it's paid marketing and using search and using social, et cetera, to build the right landing pages, to optimize landing pages, all the kind of the one-on-one -on -one marketing stuff that all marketers need to be doing, certainly today, all digital marketers. Mm -hmm. Where we're also been spending time and also seeing success is in brand marketing. And brand marketing is always an interesting thing because how do you measure brand marketing effectively? And we found our way of measuring brand marketing that has been very, very helpful for us. Specifically, what we do is we look at how often the term meetup is put in the search bar, how often mm. people are searching for the term meetup, meetups near me in any cities that we go to. So for example, we'll do a test, a brand marketing test in 10 different cities. 
and we'll compare them to 10 other cities where we don't do a brand marketing test. And we've seen three, four, 500% increases of people looking for the term meetup and meetups near me, meetups, Kansas City, whatever it is, than in cities where we don't. So brand marketing has been effective, but that's not what the future is for us in marketing. The biggest area of opportunity for us in marketing is helping to enable each of our 200,000 plus organizers that mm. are part of making meetup into brand ambassadors to a much greater degree than they are right now. If you look at some great brands, and I'll pull out Lululemon. I teach mm -hmm. at Columbia Entrepreneurship and Strategy, and we have a case study on Lululemon. And Lululemon yeah. did a phenomenal job of turning yoga and Pilates instructors into their brand ambassadors by giving them, you know, $200 Lululemon yeah. leggings, et cetera. So we're not going to be giving $200 Lululemon leggings to our organizers, but <laughs> there are ways in which we are working now and testing to enable each of our organizers to become even greater marketers and to help to enable Meetup to be successful. For example, swag plays a role. We need to get like Meetup t-shirts in the hands of every single Meetup organizer. We need to create gamification and incentives for organizers, not just to end up having to pay to be a Meetup organizer, but to actually earn money and get paid to be a Meetup organizer based on how much potential marketing that they're able to drive. So how can each of our decentralized leaders become marketers in their own right that's an area that we're spending more time exploring and something I'm really, really excited about. I think that's fantastic. And it reminds me of an example I've used on this show and actually came out of a episode years ago from Peloton, early Peloton days, interviewing the head of marketing and their Facebook group of existing users was their best closing channel for people that were interested in Peloton, but didn't know, is it worth it? I have questions. They would just send them to this Facebook group and all their users would answer all the questions. It was like their support and customer success all in one. Oh. <laughs> they had 250,000 people, I think, in the group. I think it's well over that now, but that was their closing channel for sales opportunities. So, you know, using your organizers, to your point, as brand ambassadors and creating a community even out of them to help themselves, that's amazing. We actually do have a Facebook organizer group. And at one point in time, the philosophy was let them do their thing. Let's not necessarily right. interject because we don't want to essentially upset the apple cart. But what we started finding is that they'll ask questions about product or about other things. And when we just jump in, I've jumped in a couple of times. Actually, it was funny. Someone said, why is the CEO of Meetup also teach at a university and write a book? Shouldn't he be spending time only focused on making the product and the business better? Right. And I saw that in the group and I, I couldn't help myself. You know, it was one of these maybe Twitter moments that maybe you want to pull back on. And I shared kind of my thoughts about how teaching in the university, I think, makes me a better CEO. Yeah. How building the book around a Meetup story helps to build Meetup's brand awareness. You know, a whole, a whole long thing. Afterwards, the person said, wow, I can't believe you just jumped in on this. Thank you so much. And there was a whole bunch of other organizers that kind of appreciated and gave lots of thumbs up to it. So it's great to have that as a forum. I, I completely agree. It's amazing the work that you're doing, the change that you've managed through and, and all the things that you're doing from the book to the podcast. Kudos. It's a lot that you're doing right now. It's all related. It's all part of like when oh, yeah. you're a leader, part of leadership is helping to build your brand. And I think each of these are brand extensions, which are really important because I think when someone wants to be part of the meetup ecosystem, they want to be part of the ecosystem because they believe in what we're trying to build. And the capability is not just about a technology, it's about a community. And part of community is the content side as well. 
And people buy Apple products because of that association with the brand. And we want more and more association with innovative brands. So whether it's a book, the podcast, teaching, whatever it is, it's all part of the larger kind of thought leadership around community. And that's what we want Meetup to be certainly known for. I want to switch gears. And we like to ask a series of questions to everybody that comes on. And, and my favorite question to ask is, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Wow. <laughs> Big question. I, yes, there always is. Yeah. So for me, and I reference this in the book, and you probably got to this part because it's in the earlier part of the book, mm-hmm. Alan. <laughs> I potentially think about death too often. I do it purposely, though, because I find, as weird as this sounds, death to be incredibly motivational. To understand that we all have a finite amount of time to be on this earth and that our goal is to have joy in that time, have meaning in that time, and help as many people as we can with whatever talents we have, you know, during that time. And for me, I, I lost my best friend um, when I was 20 years old. And, and shortly thereafter, a couple months later, another friend of mine died by suicide. And uh, it really rocked my world, I would say. And I think it gave me an acute awareness for and motivation to knowing that man plans and God laughs. And you don't necessarily, you can't plan everything out, but it's important to try to do as best you can with the time that you have. So that had, a, I would say, a very important impact on my life. It makes a lot of sense. And another month or two, I think it's May, is Mental Health Awareness Month. Also, suicide impacts so many people. I didn't have, luckily, I had one kid that I grew up with in Boy Scouts that ended up going to college and ultimately committing suicide his freshman year. I think just the stress of it all in a pretty intense engineering program, but also grew up with a dad that suffered from bipolar disorder. And so he was more on the depressive side. He was a great dad when he was stable, but you know, other times lacked that parental support that you thought you should have. It's tough. And I mean, I think a big component of even what you've got as a business that you're doing and building connections for people or helping people build connections and support networks and community, that's one of the best cures for all of those things. I have to tell you, there's a woman that I met. Her name is Jen Libby. She runs an organization called Promly, which I'm just going to call it out loud. It helps teens build relationships with each other mm. who potentially could be depressed or, or potentially suicidal as well. And I met her as part of Meetup, as part of our larger community. And she said to me, she's a therapist. She said, for all of her teens with anxiety and depression, before she prescribes a medication, mm. she prescribes Meetup. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Yeah. She said, I go on the computer or I go on their phone. We look at their location. We look at all the events there and we say, okay, here's a group for people who are struggling with gender identity. Maybe you should join this group. Here's a group for people who are XYZ, introverts, yeah. extreme introverts. Join this group and meet some people. <laughs> she said, it's been incredible. The number of people that have not even had to go on medication yeah, because they find their people and they find an outlet and they understand that they're not the only person that's suffering and that's challenged and that's weird in the way that they may be different than others. And there's other people that could be similarly different than them and how they've grown and learned from those experiences. It's really quite powerful. It gets to the human experience. The human experience is a shared experience. <laughs> and if you're not sharing in that experience, you can be isolated. It creates weird yes. things in your mind. Yeah. Too many people think yeah. I'm the only person going through this. Yes. And you're yeah. special. You're special. Every person is special, but you're not alone. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this journey all over again? Younger self advice. I was definitely too caught up on compensation as a young person. I made too many career decisions 
and it helped to push me to get promoted and to work hard, et cetera. Right, but right. I definitely weighed how much money I was making as a arbiter of how successful a human being that I actually happened to be mm. using external validation as the basis for your sense of self is really not healthy. And maybe it took more financial success to be able to go back and see that and that it's easier to say and to do in hindsight. But I really wish I had spent more time making decisions that could have been a step back, but a greater learning experience than kind of constantly needing to keep getting increases for whatever reasons I had to happen to have made up for myself at the time. Ending here with a few marketing-ish related questions. Right. What one topic do you think marketers need to be learning more about or you might be trying to learn more about yourself? I had done a very, very deep dive myself into SEO because part of Investopedia's magic was just ranking high in every single search engine query. Yeah. But I would not say that's the opportunity right now. For me, it would be how can machine learning be of more significant advantage to marketers? How can building algorithms and different regression type models really help marketers to target and build the right personalized type messages to people? I think that oftentimes a marketer will just rely on their data science team, or machine learning team, or their analytics person to make those decisions and they'll kind of you know pull back and say okay i'll spend the money but i won't get deeply involved in that but the problem with that is that people who are in engineering and and really understand data are not marketers right and collaborating with those individuals to really understand the bases for how the matching principles might come up in our case it's matching a person to the right event so that they could you know person can find the right event for them mm. is so critical in so many different business areas. I think that's an area where I would double click on more exposure for most marketers, machine learning specifically. I ran a company with a couple of partners. One guy was an econometrician, statistician, and he, I'm going to mess this quote up, but he used to always say to me, I can look for whatever you want in the data. If I let it guide itself, it may tell us nothing we want to know. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And that's why it's so important yeah. to engage and not be hands yeah. off, but yeah. really engage in it for marketers. Yeah. Stepping back just on a personal note, are there brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of? Yeah, I can tell you a cause of a board that I'm on, actually, yeah. if you don't mind me sharing it. Yeah, no, go for it. It's called Five One Labs. And so as I mentioned, I'm a teacher at Columbia and one of the things I teach is entrepreneurship. And one of the most gratifying moments and experiences is when a student becomes an entrepreneur and many of the people in my class have decided, not because of me, of course, but just because of their nature, I've decided to build entrepreneurial nonprofit ventures. So this particular organization called Five One Labs, what they do is they're helping Syrian refugees who have come to different other locations, particularly in Kurdistan, to build up their lives and to build incubator businesses and tech businesses from on the ground in those locations and to give them their lives back after mm. being refugees. So that's a cause that's particularly meaningful for me. And of course, at this time, it depends on what's happening when the podcast right. airs, but 
anything, of course, to support what's happening in the war in the Ukraine is something that we should all try to figure out ways in which we could spend our time and yeah, energy and no, resources. I 100% agree. And that's a really interesting approach to entrepreneurship and applied to a refugee situation. I'll have to check it out for sure. Last question for you. What do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? Okay, I'm going to go for opportunity <laughs> for 500. Here we go. The biggest opportunity in my mind is too often companies will look at their competition and say, oh, their competition, I want nothing to do with them. And I'm going to just have a big wall between them. And there's no way that we could actually help each other out. And I have found numerous times in my life that the concept of coopetition, of cooperating with competition is something that most marketers are afraid to do for whatever reason, but there could be a partnership with a competitor and meetups case, it could be another community organizing tech group, which we have partnerships with, I may add, like mm -hmm. a Discord, for example. And rather than looking at someone as a competition, instead say, how could we help you out? How could you help us out? You have things that we don't have in terms of certain technology. We have things that you don't have in terms of greater access to certain people that you don't have access to. Let's find ways of working together. So we're talking to mm -hmm. Nextdoor, for example, which is a great yeah. community platform. We're talking to Discord, a great community platform. And we're building different partnerships that help each other out. And I think don't be afraid to talk to competitors and don't be afraid to help a competitor out. If it also helps you out quite a bit as well, then we're all winning. If all boats rise, <laughs> all the better. The pie gets bigger for all of us. Yeah, exactly. I love, it. I love exactly. it. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a fun and enlightening conversation. I am so happy to be a part of it. Thank you, Alan. And hopefully this is helpful for your listeners. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. 